Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to be looking at Genesis 21, starting in verse 25. Now, this new section started in verse 22, and we see once again that Abraham has come in contact with Abimelech. And Abimelech is now a little bit leery of of Abraham and uh, wary, I should say, of him. And he's seen what the, the Lord has done on his behalf, but, you know, we've learned some important lessons along the way. Right. In verses 22 to 24, we saw that believers should be willing to work with reasonable requests of others. This is this is kind of an interesting one to take just from its face value as a narrative, because clearly the Lord is obviously supporting Abraham. Abimelech knows that Abimelech, you know, came close to paying a very dear price uh, his life was about to be forfeit, and of course we had seen in the previous uh, episode there where they had come in contact that Abraham's deceit and his willingness to go along with that, even though it was wrong, uh, not only had almost cost Abimelech his lives, but had actually gone so far as to cause all of the women in his household, you know, in near proximity to him, to become barren. And the Lord had shut their wombs up until Abimelech did what was right. So he's a little bit wary here. And so as he approaches Abraham, and of course you remember that as, as he goes to Abraham and says, Hey, why did you deceive me? You know, I I haven't done anything. I'm, uh, I'm innocent in all of this. You know, here you go, here's your wife back and here's all these rewards and here's everything. Oh, and by the way, here's the land you can live in it. Now we see Abraham living in the land just as Abimelech had offered. And now he's got to come to him and say, listen, you know, I have a request, right? Verse 23, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my prosperity or my posterity as I have dealt kindly with you. So you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Abraham said, I will swear. Why does he have to do that? Because their first encounter, he did not deal falsely, or he did deal falsely with Abimelech. And so now here is a reasonable request. We see that it has a militaristic sense with it because he's coming with the commander of his military and making that request. Now, as we pick it up in verse 27, we see a, pr- a second principle emerge, and that's this, that believers should try to work to repair peace when it is endangered. So Abimelech has come to him with Phicol, the commander of his army, has made this request. It's a reasonable request. Abraham says, as much as is in me, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work to accommodate that. And now if, if peace comes to the, the place where it is endangered, you know, we should do everything in our power to preserve peace as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men, if at all possible. Of course, we read that in the New Testament. So we see that principle emerge. Let's go ahead and read the text here, verses 25 to 27. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, 
Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. So believers should try to work to repair peace when it is endangered. Now, in addition to the verse that I had somewhat quoted earlier, I believe from Acts, and of course we have similar verses in Romans, we read this in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, be at peace among yourselves. There is definitely a principle where we should try to be at peace. And we see this kind of breaking down in, into its elements that uh, th- this is coming after the oath, okay? In verse 23, there is an oath. Swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely. Abraham says in verse 24, I will swear. An oath has been taken. Now after the oath has been taken, trouble occurs. It's a good practical lesson for people to dwell on, for believers especially, that when we give our word, difficult things come into play, difficult circumstances, but that does not abrogate us of our responsibility. And that's a good thing for us to dwell on. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, God's not going to go back on his word to us and he makes certain promises to us. God's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Now, statistically, you know, the chances are, and of course, I realize that some of these things are changing, like from a demographic standpoint in the United States, where primarily our listenership is, but even across the world, you know, statistically, once you reach adulthood, the chances are most people that are listening to this are probably going to be married. Even if you're not, you can still understand uh, the principle behind this. That first and foremost, you know, by way of illustration and application, marriage comes into view here, very practically speaking, right? Because when a man and a woman enter into the the contract of marriage, enter into the covenant of marriage, and they do so primarily before God and then witnesses, you know, they're entering into a binding contract. And I think people have lost sight of that. This is just kind of by way of application, practical application here, but it's binding. And we, we sort of recognize binding contracts, but we forget that marriage is one of these. You know, if you back out of the marriage contract from a practical standpoint, there's not a whole lot that's going to happen. Now I, I say that there is a whole lot that's going to happen. I mean, there are demonstrable, marked things that are going to happen as far as, especially if children have been, uh, you know, children have been brought into the marriage, that's going to have a marked impact on them. It's going to have a marked impact on the spouses uh, into future relationships, all sorts of things. So very practically speaking, but legally our country has made it such that there's no legal ramifications for pursuing divorce. And you know, that's a, maybe a philosophical discussion for another day. But we should understand how important uh, oaths and contracts are. Like when we enter into a mortgage, for instance, that's a legally binding contract. Chances are, if you're going to sign the paperwork to purchase a home, uh, you know, not only do you have your you, the buyer there and the other purchaser there, and you're probably going through a realtor, but when all the paperwork gets drawn up, you're going to have to have another witness who's independent of those parties, a notary, somebody who can validate that everybody's entering into this contract and 
And of course, the buyer uh, is going to be going there with the bank and the bank's loaning the money unless you happen to have a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever. The bank's going to be loaning the money. And so you're going to have a notary there saying, yes, I'm I'm witnessing here that the, the buyers want to enter into this and they're agreeing with the bank that they're going to pay the bank at this percentage rate, this interest rate, you know, all of these things. And if I don't, you know, you sign like 110 pages of paperwork and buried in there, you know, all this legalese, it's a contract, it's legally binding. Somewhere buried in that contract says, if you fail to make your payment on your house, uh, you can go into foreclosure and the bank can seize that because they're the ones that gave you the the money in the beginning, you know, and maybe that's, uh, hopefully, hopefully that's a big deal to you. I mean, and especially if you're years into your contract, you don't want to default on that and you're out tens of thousands of dollars or more in principal and payments and all these other things. And now you have nothing to show for it. I mean, you, you're going to honor your deal because if you don't do it, then legally they can come in and take it. Well, people forget that we're bound by oaths. We're bound by these covenants. And when people make a covenant in marriage, that's a that's very binding. It's just as binding as your mortgage covenant. And people tend to forget that because, you know, what do you stand to lose? You know, the bank's not going to come in at some point. I mean, obviously in some kind of settlement or whatever, but for the most part, you know, legally there's nothing there that says there's a huge ramification except this one little thing that God is the one that you took you swore that covenant before. And he is looking at you and recognizing that you're, <laughs> you broke your word. Uh, that's not good. So oaths, covenants are, are legally binding. And we need a reminder of that. You know, marriage is to be taken very seriously. And when we give each other our word, and when we, especially if you were to enter into a, a covenant or an oath with somebody, then that's also binding. And I say that because once, you know, a man and a woman enter into the marriage covenant together, marriage isn't, you know, a walk in the park. It's not the easiest thing. You're going to enter, uh, you're, you're going to encounter, I should say, uh, trouble along the way, difficulties, hardships, trials, and you don't get to just flee. I'm sure that after, you know, after Abraham makes this, uh, swears this oath before Abimelech, that maybe there's a twinge of regret. You know, we don't know exactly how soon after verse 24, verse 25 takes place, but there is this reproof here about a well of water because Abimelech's men, Abimelech's over them, he has authority over them, have done something against Abraham. And because Abraham can't deal falsely with him and, you know, he shouldn't deal falsely anyway, he's going to have to honor the oath that he made in the contract that he made, the covenant. And, you know, from a practical application, we owe it to our spouse. We don't just get to walk out at the first sign of trouble or uh, not just the first sign, but sign of significant trouble. We have to deal with it. We have to work through those things. And sometimes that's hard to do, but we have an obligation before the Lord to do that. Now, bringing it full circle, all of us now have, who are believers, who have entered into a relationship with God based on his word and his promise through Christ, not only can we not separate ourselves from him, but we have, by proximity, by relationship, we have entered into relationship with other believers. 
And so we have to look at believers and relationships within the church in a similar fashion. You know, all of this is just practical application here, but we have to recognize that. And I have seen this too many times, you know, people who understand they understand, you know, I, I have met people and, and I've counseled with people who recognize that family is huge. And even if your family is dysfunctional, you don't just walk away from them. You don't just abandon them. You work with them. But at the first sign of conflict or trouble or distress with another believer, they're like, this church is corrupt. I'm out of here. I can't do this. And they just run. And it doesn't make any sense. And believers need a reminder of this. And I think that we see that very practically that, you know, once you enter into a relationship, a covenant relationship with God through Christ, you are by necessity, you have been brought into the family uh, because of that. You are now part of his, you have been adopted as a child of God, and you are now with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And they are just like family, just like your brother and sister uh, in, you know, in real life. And we have an obligation to work through things. So we see that. Secondly, we see not only that this is occurring from a practical standpoint, uh, that it's occurring after a covenant has been enacted, after an oath has been sworn, but we see this principle emerging also in verse 25 that we need to speak the truth. Uh, When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, he's speaking the truth. And the point is, is he's not sugarcoating it. He's not fabricating any accusation, but we now have to address it. Sometimes things come up from a practical standpoint that we have to address. And it doesn't do any good to not address things. And as difficult as it is, we have an obligation to do that and to speak the truth at the same time. Then in verse 26, another principle emerges, and that's this, that we need to give the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Verse 26, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. And, you know, we think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with regard to love. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And these are important uh, lessons for us to learn. Is it possible? Now, we don't know. I'm just looking at the text here and We can't say for sure. Is it possible that Abraham maybe doubted the sincerity of Abimelech's statement? Well, I don't know. We can't say. All we know is that Abimelech made this statement that he did not know who had done this. And we owe it to uh, our brothers and sisters. We owe it to our spouses. We owe it to people to give them the benefit of the doubt as much as is possible. Now, uh, you know, I can anticipate all sorts of arguments to this and and all sorts of things. Uh, You know, if they've given us reason to show their, to cast aspersions on their credibility and and all those things, okay, that's a different discussion. You know, do we have to trust somebody who's given us reason not to trust them? Not necessarily, but we don't have that here. This is the first encounter that he's had with Abimelech. If anybody has a reason not to trust, it would be Abimelech except for the fact that Abraham has now sworn to him that he would do something and do the right thing. So we, you see what I'm saying? We have to kind of take that with a grain of salt there. And so because there's been no breach of trust, we don't have uh, that leading into this. There's no reason not to trust. And instead of always assuming the guilt 
of another person, we need to go into things giving the benefit of the doubt. And so at first blush, at first glance, especially when they say something like this, we need to try and believe them if at all possible. And that verse that I mentioned earlier, love believes all things, love hopes all things, endures all things. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Then there's a final principle of this idea that believers should try to work to repair peace when it is endangered, if at all possible. And that's this, to take further steps to ensure that ties are strengthened. And we see this uh, come out in verse 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. So this occurs after the oath has been sworn uh, in the previous section in verse 24. Now they make a legal binding covenant uh, amongst themselves. They cut a covenant between the two men. I can think of a perfect illustration of this going back to my childhood. My father, if I would transgress one of the rules of the family when I was a child and living in their household, he would say to me, it's not just enough to say, I'm sorry. He would say, what are you going to do about it in the future to make sure that it doesn't happen again? And in essence, that's what we see here. Uh, We see that Abimelech's servants have done wrong. Now, Abraham is the one who's going to provide the animals for the covenant. This is serious. Not An oath is just as serious, right? You know, when you swear an oath, God says, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you swear that you're going to do it and you give your word, then you do it. We, we see that with uh, Jephthah. He swears an oath before the Lord. I mean, he doesn't make a covenant, but he's got to honor his word. He says, you know, if you give me victory, the first thing that comes from my house, I'm going to sacrifice uh, and, you know, again, we don't want to rabbit trail into that as, as to far as that. But if, if let the reader understand, let the listener understand what's going on there, it's a very serious thing. But now they take it up a step and it goes beyond an oath to a covenant. Abimelech's not the one expected to provide the animals for the covenant. Uh, Abraham does. But he says, listen, we're, we're going to strengthen our relationship. We're going to ratify the words that we have spoken to each other previously, and we're going to do that through the, the means of a covenant. In other words, how are we going to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Well, we're not just going to say, oh, I'm going to do my best. We're going to take big steps to make sure that it doesn't. And here both parties are swearing to each other that this is not going to happen again. And they do it by means of an oath and not an oath, a covenant. The covenant is actually uh, cut just as other covenants were. Now, this is an interesting one because most covenants, as we've talked about covenants in the past, you know, you have unilateral covenants and bilateral covenants. I suppose it's possible that between two men, you know, two humans, that they could make a unilateral covenant where the one says, I'm going to do this and there's nothing you need to do. But it's pretty obvious here that between Abraham and Abimelech, this is a bilateral covenant and they are making this covenant together. It's a good faith effort that shows that they are willing Uh, to take serious steps to ensure that peace remains. And it's a good reminder to you and me. It's a good reminder to me personally. And I think by extension to all who uh, listen in on this and and study along with us, that we really need to go to, to great lengths to try and accomplish peace. Peace between us and other believers, peace between us and our spouses, 
uh, peace with everyone that we can as much as is possible, we need to go to great lengths to try and secure that. And that's really what we have seen here in these verses today. Well, that's all we have time for. We'll come back and pick up the text again, starting in verse 28 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.